The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 186 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. Uh, before we get into this week's amazing conversation, we do want to thank one new reviewer on Apple Podcast. Uh, the username is Causefire, and Causefire left us a five-star review and has actually been listening since, uh, it says, about halfway through the first year, which that's been four years now. So thank you so much for sticking with us the whole time and for your five-star review and your kind words. These reviews really help us to be found when people are looking for good content. Uh, I also want to thank, we had so many of you, thank you for all of the amazing messages we got this past week about last week's episode, Ryan Evans. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I highly recommend it as he tells his story uh, about ending up in prison and all the terrible things he went through and then finding faith We just got so many messages, it was overwhelming, and Ryan is an incredible, incredible man, so thank you for the kind words. Uh, This week on the show, my guest, Lizzie Jensen, I was so impressed. She is the founder and the CEO of the company The Small Seed, and they make really cool products, and she just has an incredible story, and more so than anything, as I went back and re-listened to the episode... I'm just so impressed. Lizzie has this understanding of how how to communicate the gospel and how to share the gospel and uh, just kind of how to present it. And I was really touched by it, and it, it caused me to really think about how I present the gospel. And you will just love Lizzie. She is an incredible human being. And coming up this week in my Latter-day life, hey, is that seat taken? It's all coming up. So sit back, relax and enjoy this week's conversation. And today here on the Latter-day Lives podcast, it is my pleasure to have the founder of The Small Seed, which is a Christian company doing so much good in the world, Lizzie Jensen. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you on, and I did some homework on you. Holy cow, we have a lot to talk about. You have accomplished so much. I've got all kinds of questions about the small seed and all the things you've done in your life, but let's take it way back. Let's go back to kind of where you were born and where you grew up. I am originally from St. George, Utah, beautiful Red Rock town that still has my heart. Uh, Second of six kids. My mom is actually from Wisconsin. My dad's from Idaho. My mom was a convert to the church, um, met my dad at BYU. And then they kind of, he told her, you know, let's move down to St. George for six months, open a financial advisory company there. And that turned into 30 something years. So didn't have family in the area, but we were raised there and all have a sweet spot in our hearts for St. George. Growing up in in St. George, what was your life like? What were you into? Um, Very young. I was pretty introverted, really into reading more than anything. I I have this funny story when I was in kindergarten, they were just filming some of the kindergartners, you know, to make this cute video. And there's me on the video. And so, you know, who are your friends? And my response was, I don't have any. And they asked next, so so what do you like to do for fun? And I just watched the other kids play. That was my response. (laughs) And the funny thing is I have a daughter now who's just like me. And it's not like a sad, shy, it's just like kind of an observer and takes in the world and doesn't really think much about it. So read a lot, a lot of books. And then about the time I hit fifth, sixth grade, started getting into sports and played basketball and did soccer and track and made some friends. And, you know, I started going a little better after that. Maybe was part of the reading, the fact that during summertime, it is about 110 degrees in St. George. I mean, that definitely could be a part of it. We also did a lot of swimming, so that offsets the heat. Um, I think I just, I think I just caught on early to reading and 
just all the dreams and the different people you meet. And, you know, it just, it does, it opens up a new world in every book. And still to this day, like even in college, there was a day that was a, it was a holiday and it was snowing like crazy. And I ended up reading book three of the Lord of the Rings the entire day. And at the end of the day, I was like, Oh, that's that reading high. I haven't been able to have for a while. So I think it's more that it's just a, a bit of a nerd and maybe still am, but. So you said you, once you got into high school, you started getting into more sports and things. Were you into one sport or were you a multi-sport? Yeah, I, I really did the three. We did student government. I kind of lived in that golden age where your high school's a bit smaller. There's no club teams. You can kind of, you know, I did student government and I was doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you really could at that time. Mm. So it was a pretty magical childhood, really amazing friends. Um, and I think because my parents weren't from St. George, like we were exposed to a lot of things outside St. George as well. So some of the traveling or just skiing and snowboarding and getting out to the national parks, um, and kind of had a a broader worldview, even though we were raised in this really at that time, a really small town. So you get done with high school. What came next? Um, so went to BYU. I actually did one semester at BYU, one semester at BYU-Idaho to go do a study abroad through them, which then ended up being canceled, Um, spent a semester at home, kind of there and back, and then BYU for the rest of my college experience. Yeah. Um, How was your experience at BYU? I loved it. Really loved it. Yeah, it was... um, I, I feel for the people going through college at these different times with pandemics happening and things like that, but it, it was wonderful. Met so many friends, those lifelong experiences. I think really for me, um, maybe it's from those early days of being a reader, more just my personality. I'm very intentional and can be very serious. And so I think I went through maybe eight majors before I actually decided what I was going to do, but that added to the excitement, you know, I got a little, try a little bit of everything and my last semester before I was going to graduate, I ended up, uh, decided to serve a mission. And then that was when girls went at 21, you know. Did you go into BYU like with this idea of, I know what my major is going to be and then it just changed or were you just kind of doing the sampler plate? Total sampler plate. Yep. <laughs> yep. When I received my patriarchal blessing, I was 16 and there was some language in there that felt very directive, maybe more so than I had expected at 16. And so I kept just feeling like I want to feel really settled. You know, I, again, I took it really seriously. Like what is this thing that's going to fulfill those promises? And, um, but definitely, yeah, was eaten from the sampler plate. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So you decided to go on a mission. Tell us uh, where you ended up serving. Uh, served in Croatia, beautiful country, amazing mission. There were usually just about six to eight sister missionaries in the mission. So you'd become really close with the companions and not just with your companion, but all the sisters in the mission, because you'd come together for zone conferences and it would just be you and a little apartment or house together, all the sisters and amazing, yeah. amazing place. That was, and actually it was really neat when I, my, I had a sister out who was serving in Hungary. My dad had served a mission. He would always like put these little quips into missions, even for us girls and the family. And the only thing I said, I had a sister serving in Hungary. And the only thing I said, just seeing kind of, you know, Eastern Europe can be a bit tricky. Like, I just don't want to go to Europe. Like, I just want to go. I had spent a month in Africa and like to some people who was just hungry and really excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ and open up my mission call. And it's the Croatia Zagreb mission. But what was really special is I had an uncle who actually opened that mission in the seventies when it was the former Yugoslavia. Wow. And so I'm reading that. And my eyes just locked with my mom. It's her brother. And it just, even though I was like so nervous about Eastern Europe and, you know, it's, it's hard reading that there was that confirmation and that family connection. And, um, and then as an afterthought, I was like, oh my goodness, that is totally Eastern Europe. And I just had to chuckle that, of course, that's, that's the way it works. But Oh, Lizzie, that is so cool. So a couple of questions, first of all, just so that we're clear. St. George to Provo to Rexburg to Provo to Croatia. That's a little bit of culture shock. Was it, uh, was it pretty dramatic when you got there? So <laughs> I think the second week in the mission, my companion and I knocked a door, a guy came out in his underwear, started screaming at us in Croatian, which I had no idea what he was saying, <laughs> grabbed my companion by the neck <gasps> and then threw us down the stairs. 
It was oh, at that no. moment. We, we like just started running. Like none of us actually fell, ran out. He was clearly on something and got to the foot of that building. And I looked at my companion and I was like, are you okay? And she was going home in a month and she just kind of started giggling. And she's like, we're not hurt. Are we? We're fine. And then I just had like little tears come down my eyes because this, this realization of how long 16 months really is, you know, I was two months in the MTC and sure. I've got 16 more months of this. (laughs) Can I, and, and the reality that they really didn't, they weren't super friendly. You know, there's so much history, political history, religious history in that part of the world that it's hard. It's hard when they have this religious messenger come to their door. And I looked at her and I just asked her like, can I do this? She said, yes, no doubt. And being on the other side of things, like what I'm walking away with and who I've become, like, you will never regret that you stick, stuck it out and who you will be, you know, that it, it was, that was a really rude, like literally rude awakening. <laughs> those first two weeks. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, holy cow. And the fact that you stuck through that is just amazing. Uh, talk about learning Croatian. How hard was that? It was so hard. I was a really good student at BYU all throughout. You know, I was reading plenty of books by second grade. You'd hope I could do decent in grades when I got to college. But um, in the NTC in our um, district, there was one other sister and three elders. And, you know, sisters are the oldest in the group because we go at 21. And by far, I was just not getting it. And it was so humbling because I was used to kind of succeeding at school. That was kind of my thing, right? And yeah, it brought me to my knees time and time again and (laughs) humbled me in a major way. And I spent some early mornings sitting outside, just memorizing what I could memorize to hope something would stick. And if nothing else that God just knew, like, Hey, I'm, I'm making the effort. If it's not translating into anything, maybe it's just a couple extra blessings and some of your, your wisdom and your goodness and your brains can be infused in mine a little bit, but it was hard. It was really hard. And then when I got to the mission, um, I was just all in and I had a companion who kind of allowed that and really supported that. And so I I felt like it came a lot more quickly, but it was humbling. Yeah. What was church like in Croatia? Uh, Depends on the branch um, where you are. There are a couple of wards. I know it's, you know, much bigger. This was a while ago now, but um, I remember that first little branch we went to and there was a lot of just, what what do we want to say upheaval between a very small branch of people trying to figure it out and dealing with new leadership. And one of my most vivid memories from that first branch was I was called as the ward pianist on their keyboard. And, you know, when your language isn't great, you hope you can do something to serve. And that was something I could do. And I remember I would just pray so hard that I would, the music that I would play as the prelude would do something to change the atmosphere in that room And I had two unbelievable companions in that area. And we just, it was almost in my memory, that building was dark. And then I could, as I, as I think back at it, by the time six, eight weeks in, it was like someone put new light bulbs in the building. Like you could really see this light change on the members and in those that would come and visit and just in the atmosphere. And, you know, I don't attribute that by any means to the piano playing that I did, but it, you know, again, another one of those experiences where you, you haven't been through anything like that before and you hope, what do I have to offer? What do I have to give? And it was a sweet, sweet experience and just loved, loved that branch. I, I've, I've been blessed to attend church a little bit kind of all over the world. And I wish everyone had that experience to understand and also to understand what we have here the and especially here in utah but i mean generally in the u.s you know the stability we have in wards and branches that are strong and and uh what a blessing oh that's incredible so you get home from your mission what came next so i had a semester left of school um which what did you decided on as your major we never got to that (laughs) you know after all that prior consideration i did marriage family human development which so many females were doing at the time um (laughs) what what i kind of came to was okay this probably isn't going to be the career if i decide to have a career it's probably going to be off a graduate degree 
So why don't I do something that I know is going to impact me and I want to have kids and a spouse, like the human development aspect of it, the communications classes, like it was kind of just a core for family life. And, um, and then I said, I thought, you know, I could, I could go in and do any master's program or PhD or whatever Mm. program after this. And right. I circled back to that, (laughs) which I love, absolutely, absolutely loved. And it was really good, great decision. Um, so I had the semester left, which I kind of left because I thought coming back from a mission with no schooling left, that's a felt like a tricky transition. So left that semester and at the expense of maybe sounding like I'm tooting my own horn, I, I will share this story just because it really was a really sweet experience for me, don't knowing like God was in it. I as preface, I think sisters who went out at that time, it was very different. It was not just talking about on the mission. It was really different socially. Like the prophet really said, like, if you have an opportunity to get married, you get married. That's what you do. And, um, I had been dating a guy really seriously before I left. Great guy really liked him. Nothing that felt like, Oh, you know, you shouldn't marry this guy or you shouldn't be with this guy. And, I probably went to three or four professors who I really valued and my bishop and just sought counsel. Like, why am I feeling pulled to this mission? When the counsel is, if you're, if you've got a great guy, like get married, that's, you know, a great opportunity. And I remember one of the professors I was working with, Roseanne Benson, I was her TA at the time. And um, I just, you know, asked her the same question because everybody else had said, you get married, that's what you do. And it just never sat right. Um, And she said, you know, I think you think of that counsel asking you shall receive, knock and it shall be open to you. I think too often we sit and we question and we are frustrated by knowing which door to knock on. Mm. And she said, God never says, find that right door. He just says, knock on all of them. Just knock, go knock. And it was the right counsel at the right time. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to pursue all of these things I'm feeling good about and let God open the door that he's going to open. And the minute I think I was open to that really in my heart, open to that option of serving a mission, it just, everything fell into place. And it was so clear. The one thing that kind of ate at me, then again, here, here's the part where I'm nervous and don't want to sound like I'm too my own horn. I had been invited to be valedictorian in my class before I left. If I was graduating in that year, that's but, just awesome. Right? That's not tooting your own horn. That you're stating a fact. That's awesome. <laughs> but I knew going on that mission, then I was taken out of consideration because mm. they just have it for a year, right? And it was like, whatever, a mission's right. Who cares? And so I came home. I'm in that semester, and I thought I was probably going to do two semesters, not one. And I'm kind of gearing towards the end of that semester, and it just felt like I was done. Like you're just kind of finished. And I had a couple business classes left. I was doing a business minor, but I thought, you know what? I probably could graduate if I don't do that business minor. I should just go talk to a counselor. So I was walked past the building, went inside, chatted with the girl at the front. I was like, can you just kind of calculate where I am? My courses, like, could I graduate this semester if I wanted to? Is that an option? And she looked it up and she said, you're within, I was within like a credit or two, like exactly where I needed to be. And Mm. And I was like, okay, well, this, here's another crazy, here's a crazy question, but I had received a letter that I would be considered, you know, in the valedictorian pool. Is that, would that still be an option? Like I haven't applied for graduation yet. And she said, you know, absolutely. And coincidentally, they're actually meeting in the back room right now for this year, for this semester's valedictorian for this year. Um, I could go throw your name in now and you could be a part of that discussion if you'd want. Oh my gosh, come on. I mean, How the, cool right, is that? the right hour, right? That you're just there. And it wasn't, you know, that's, that's not this huge thing. But for me at that time, knowing like, yeah, God knows, he knows yeah. the desires of your heart and that you want to be married and you want kids. And that was an honor that felt meaningful for you. Like he's aware, he's aware of all yeah, this. He's, he's involved in the small details of our lives. I've often marveled at how much, if it's important to us, it's important to God. That we don't need to justify the things that are important to us. All right. So putting just just putting an end cap on it. Valedictorian, did it happen? Did it not? It happened. It happened. You were the valedictorian. All right. 
I'm glad I got to ask that. So you didn't have to bring it up. That's good. That was me, <laughs> that was me asking Lizzie. So that's good. That's awesome. So you're valedictory. I, I, so a couple things, first of all, I, I don't think young women now can appreciate what, and you're quite a bit younger than I am, but you know, my wife served a mission and we've talked about this a lot. And I remember, you know, I was out uh, 30 years ago. I remember talking to sisters in, in our mission and it really used to be at least 30 years ago. It was, you know, our sisters would tell people, yeah, I'm going on a mission. Oh, really? Why? What happened? Like, it was almost like a, Oh gosh, that's, that's really too bad. I'm sorry. Your life is in such a bad place that you feel you have to go on a mission. And now people say like, Oh, that's so sad that you like, you didn't have opportunities to get married. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Lizzie, isn't that just crazy? It it just, Uh it's so ridiculous. All right. So you graduate valedictorian life is just lined up for you at this point. Did you go to grad school right away or what did you do next? Um, took a year off while I was applying and had that same, do I, what, what, what grad school do I want to do? What I want to come out with kind of brought it down to three options, uh, an MBA law school or interior design school. Funny enough. So different <laughs> than the others. Why but not? I love- sure. I love all of that. And um, after a lot of mostly weighing it out in my mind, didn't feel some spiritual prompting either way, but weighing it out just felt like I think law school is going to open the most doors and Mm -hmm. allow me to be the most flexible, do what I want to do. It seemed to hold that weight of credibility maybe more than anything else. And so applied to law school, got in with, I think, when, when did I get home? Anyway, gave me to that year. So I worked Worked for that year, actually, in the BYU Athletic Department, which was just a total blast and had a lot of fun there and then started that next fall at BYU Law School. So stayed at BYU mm-hmm. Law School. How was law school? Um, it was kind of, I think, what I had expected. I'm not the person who's going to be in the moot court. I'm not confrontational. Totally the opposite. Um, but really kind of went like, I wanted to hone my writing skills. I wanted to hone my speaking skills and then the credentials. And I think it was like the first semester that I, it was that one of these things is not like the other and it's me, it is me. Um, but that's fine. That's fine. Like I know I'm in it and I don't, you know, that's just fine. Um, and that first year of law school, I actually re-met a guy that I had known my freshman year, actually at BYU. He was in his second year of his MBA. Um, and then that's, um, the man I eventually married and then transferred the second and third year out to Fordham, which is right by the temple upper West side of Manhattan. Mm. So then law school was completely different year two and year three. Um, but loved it. Loved the experience changed me in a lot of ways. So you guys got married, then moved out to Manhattan. Yep. And we moved yeah. actually to Connecticut and I would, um, take the train in. Gotcha. Which was about half as expensive as living anywhere near Manhattan. So that was a good. Yes. Yeah. Connecticut's still very expensive. (laughs) However, (laughs) however, the island itself. uh, Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. How was your experience at Fordham? I mean, you, you went to a pretty darn lofty school there, man, Fordham, that's a big deal. It was good. I'll, I'll tell you my husband's favorite story from literally my first day at law school at Fordham in New York city. So I, I go in, I come off the train and that, that train on the Upper West Side, you literally come out and see the temple. And so I'm feeling high on life and just really encouraged, like, I'm going to come and I'm going to meet people and I want to be this light and just show them, you know, just be, show them a happy LDS person. I don't know what I thought, probably not that um, <laughs> bushy tailed, but pretty close to it. And so I get into the first class and sit down at this, at the, at the chair set up. And this kid comes and sits down next to me. And in law school, most of the time who you sit by, there's then a seating chart because they want to call on you, call on you. There's the Socratic discussion. And so then you write your name on the seating chart and you stay in that seat the rest of the semester. So he sits down and I'm like, Oh, you know, this is who I'm going to be sitting by the rest of this, this semester. And he's got his black hoodie over his head. He's not definitely not making eye contact, kind of looking down at the desk and, I turn to him and I say, hi, I'm Liz. And he, he turns his head and he looks at me, doesn't say a word, looks straight ahead without saying anything. And I was like, 
okay, so I'm going to be sitting by him every day. Like I have to break the ice. Now it's just really awkward. And so I turn back to him and I say, so how are you today? And he looks at me and he, he just says back, you know, apparently not as good as you are. Turns back, looks dead oh, forward. No, does oh. not talk to me the rest of the semester. <laughs> I got You're home kidding. and I told my husband, and he could not stop laughing. He's like, "Dorothy, you are not in Kansas anymore. You have got to adjust." <laughs> Lizzie, that is terrible. <laughs> is that so hilarious. good? <laughs> oh, that is crazy. So you spent uh, two years at Fordham. Two years at Fordham. Two yep. years at Fordham. When you were when you were studying there, I'm sure you went to a ward in Connecticut. But did you ever have the chance to attend the Manhattan First Ward there in the Temple Building in Manhattan? Yes. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that an amazing experience? It. We actually, my husband's parents came out as missionaries. They were the ambassadors to the UN for the church, mm. um, and they ended up living right in that building. So we had some amazing opportunities. That building, that chapel, that temple is just really, really special. So you graduate from law school. Um, Did your husband end up finishing out his MBA out there? No. So he was already in his second year of his MBA. Oh, okay. So he had already finished. Yep. He had finished. And that's what took us out there. He had a job in Connecticut when we kind of started dating and we kind of talked through that. And I was away for the summer at an internship in Europe. He was away starting his job. And pretty shortly after we got back, I think it was maybe two weeks later, he came out and proposed and we were like, we, we don't want to do many, many more days, let alone months of that. horrible. <laughs> All right. So once you get done with Fordham, your, your husband's working out in Connecticut, you guys are living the life, no kids yet. No kids. No, no kids. We had- we had tried for a time, I mean, the whole time, and it just wasn't really happening, um, which is funny. I didn't really mention this back in my early reader days. Like I was, I loved animals. I loved babies. And then once I started playing basketball, I would tell people my number was number 13 on the basketball team. And <laughs> literally when people would ask me like, how many kids do you want? I would say 13 half joking, but actually pretty literal. Like, wow. I, was like I just want a massive family. And that's, you know, the sum total of my existence and my happiness is that I just want a really big family and the noise. And so then not getting married and serving a mission and then getting married and not getting pregnant right away was, there were a lot of opportunities to just say, okay, God, I had the plan, which I felt like was a sanctioned plan. It was kind of the plan you are laid out for me in young women's and that plan's not happening kind of over and over again. And then ironically, the month after I graduate, I get pregnant. And so I just got to study for the bar while I was super nauseous. So that was, that was great. (laughs) (laughs) Careful what you wish for. The timing is not always what you think it's going to be. Did you end up passing the bar in Connecticut? Uh, I did the New York bar. Yeah. You did the New York bar. Holy cow. That is you realize how like big all this sounds, right? That's, I, I mean, it really is, Lizzie. Like, I am so impressed. Like, this is this is really really awesome stuff. So, all right. So now you've got a kid. You're legally you're a lawyer. You're still living in Connecticut. What came next? So I had I had been doing some work with my dad actually back in Utah. He was doing some work with high net worth clients and helping in that transition of wealth from the first generation to the second generation and doing some interfacing with the attorneys and setting up estates. And he was in financial planning. So I did that for probably the first eight, nine months um, where it was super easy to travel with my baby. My husband would be traveling as well. And that just, it was fun to have an excuse to go home and do some of this. Um, And then at about that time, we found out my dad, my parents were going to leave as mission leaders. Mm -hmm. And I could kind of see the writing on the wall, like with him not there, I just don't think I'm going to want to fly back. We want to try for another baby. I just, I think that the the kind of the sweet age and sweet spot of this is probably going to, is probably past or will in the next few months. And so kind of hit that really intense time again of pondering and praying and listing things out. And I think a, a lot of the question in my mind was like, okay, God, you took me on this alternative path. And I was expecting now I have this degree and I have maybe more good that I can do in the world easier because I could work an hour pro bono and do what I couldn't have done in 10 hours before law school. Right. Um, 
And so I was really prayerful about it and thought through it. And about that time, uh, my husband had a buddy up in Boston who was working with Clayton Christensen on the book, The Power of Everyday Missionaries. Um, and so he reached out to my husband and said, you know, we'd love people to read like a hundred people to read advanced copies of this book and just give us feedback, take notes, see what your impressions are, how this helps. And so I end up with one of the copies and I'm taking notes, not really for anyone else, but they had asked to just write questions you have, whatever. And there's two chapters in that book, one on sharing the gospel online and one on sharing the gospel at work, which for me was really online because I'm, you know, working remotely. And as I'm reading those chapters, I just have this overwhelming over and over prompting, like you need to start sharing the gospel online. You need to share, start a blog. And immediately, I I mean, knowing my personality, I'm like the last one in the limelight. I hate self-promotion. Like, God, you have the wrong girl. (laughs) This is the last, I I have a law degree and motherhood. I don't want to share the gospel online or just be online, you know? Um, But I just, I, I wrote it all out in the notes. And then the thought hit me right after that it really was this opposition of you're not even a good writer. You could never do a blog. It was just like these feelings of you would be terrible at this. You don't know how to take pictures. And it was right then that I was like, wait a second. I know this pattern. Like plenty of girls were doing family blogs, family, like doing a blog was not that big of a deal. If I'm feeling this much adversity, maybe this is something I should actually really consider. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I submitted my notes to the team and, Reed Davis, now a friend reached right out to me and he said, I read through your notes. I've only reached out to one or two people. Is there anything I can do to help you do this? Wow. Like, it's kind of unmistakable. Wow. So, like, Oh, second witness. I, I am going to push forward. I don't know what this is for. So get a blog going, you know, have a designer that starts designing the blog. I kind of think through what would I want the content to be and then find out we're expecting and go in for the full first ultrasound and find out it's twins and find oh out they're high risk and find out I'm going to have to spend two months in a hospital bed because they're sharing the same amniotic. And, you know, I'll, I won't, I'll spare you the details, but the reality was, okay, they might be very um, high risk twins. They may not make it. If they do make it, I have twins <laughs> and I'm going to be in the hospital. Like, but then, you know, the thought again, like, well, God knew this four months ago when I read this book, just keep pushing forward. And, and then I get in the hospital and realize like, he was just helping me. I would have gone hundred percent stir crazy if I didn't have a purpose sitting here in this hospital bed here, I was hoping I'd touch someone else. And really he's just like helping my mental state, not completely go (laughs) in these two months. Um, so started the small seed at that time was really kind of a personal blog, Um, and then over the next few years brought on some team members and kind of grew into some other things, but that was a huge shift from law school and all of that and early motherhood to jumping into that world with with both feet. All right. Before we talk more about the small seed, the twins Yeah, are the twins. They are so great. They were just baptized last month, just beautiful, identical girls who not one health problem. I mean, I've told this story multiple times and I just, the emotion right now just feels so real, like how much fear there was. And God was there every time when that fear would surface, but seeing what's come of it. I mean, that first, that first ultrasound, one of the first things the doctor said to me after he kind of explained it was, you know, abortion is very much on the table. We see a lot of divorces from this, like this really tears families apart when a a mom is gone for two full months and they may not make it anyway. And it was that moment when I sat there, this flood of peace truly that passes understanding that didn't make any sense was just, you will give them the chance they need in this world and in this life and leave the rest to me and you will be fine. You will be fine. It wasn't a, they're going to make it. There was no guarantee of this outcome, but it really was the wave of peace that you were in my hands. They are in my hands and you were their mother. And whatever, whatever I have planned, you're going to be, you're going to be okay. That is phenomenal. Lizzie, that is so beautiful. All right. Now that we're okay, I was kind of on a cliffhanger there. Um, (laughs) So let's talk about uh, this blog starts up. How did you come up with the name, the small seed? Um, Sitting in the living room with a dear friend, we were like in loft apartments in this downtown adorable town in Connecticut, And I was kind of just brainstorming with her. Like, I think the biggest thing that I had felt was just 
a lot of insecurity and inadequacy to put my faith out there and put my writing out there. And, and it was like, I just want faith. And she's like, it's just, you know, faith is like a little seed. It's that primary hymn. If planted, it will grow. And something about being able to own to the fact that I don't presume to have anything more interesting to say than anybody else. Mm And, but also like we all, we all have those seeds. That's every single one of us. Um, And the only thing we can do is plant it. You can't question if it's the right seed or if it's big enough or the plant's going to be the right plant that someone's going to like, like you are who you are and you've been given the gifts and talents that you've been given and life experiences and knowledge and like your heart empathy for the people, you know, you've, you've been given those things, just trust and planted. And so from that sweet conversation with a friend and just really felt, felt good that that was who, who I was and how I felt. It is an awesome name. It says so much. Um, now it's time to actually publish. We've done, so we've done over 180 episodes of Latter-day Lives. I still remember pushing return on my computer, which published the first episode and my trembling hand so terrified because, because at the time it blew my mind that maybe 50 people were going to hear this and that was going to be the end of the world for me. How was it publishing that first blog entry? Uh, Terrifying. (laughs) Equally as terrifying. And I remember it vividly (laughs) as well. I'm like, oh, should I, should I send it on Facebook now and say, I, I published a blog. Oh, that sounds horrible. (laughs) I'm going to do it. Oh, and then hitting the publish on Facebook to promote it equally as horrifying and feelings of inadequacy attached. Yep. So do you remember the first positive feedback you got where you knew, Hey, this blog is going to make a difference. At that time, it really was a family blog where I was sharing my insights and my thoughts, but also I was on this journey now with the twins. I think I published the first post maybe a month before I went into the hospital. Um, Cause I went in at 24 weeks. So it was just, you know, a month and a half, two months after yeah. we found out that I was 10, 10 weeks along. Um, and so I think those, I think those were really sweet and you, I had a lot of family commenting, but they were following this twin journey too. Right. Um, but I, I, I mean, maybe that's, a weakness of mine, I think in general, I think I always struggle with feeling less than that anything Mm -hmm. ever really does make a difference. It doesn't matter. I haven't been on a lot of podcasts, but I think it wouldn't matter how many podcasts I'd be on. I would get just as nervous and feel just as searching and seeking and praying and preparing, you know, because I think the, the weight of the weight of being an answer or being a help to someone else. Um, I feel deeply and the thought of really being able to be that lifeline, or even maybe it's just a small drop in the water, but something that can impact someone. I think even to this day, I still feel like, Oh, but is this really it God? Like, is this, am I really living up to it? Am I really doing, doing what you want me to do and helping anyone? Or maybe it's just for me. So I stay sane in the hospital bed and I guess that's okay too. (laughs) Yeah. It's a, it's a big deal. And the small seed really took off. You started to get a lot of followers of it. You started to build a a community, which is the goal of, of blogs, which is so awesome. Do you remember, do you have a post that you remember well, that really you thought you just saw it engage your community? Yes. And it wasn't specifically a post that I had written. We probably six months after I came, well, actually during the hospital stay, I had a few friends and people who I didn't even know reach out to me and say a very similar thing in every case. I think there were three or four girls who said, this feels crazy. I don't know why I'm saying this, but do you need help? And if you're ever looking to build a team, I would love to just volunteer my time. And so that was, you know, a godsend as our twins were born and they were two months in the NICU, then continuing to sustain a blog, you know, was a little daunting, but pretty soon thereafter, we started sharing um, other stories of faith, not just mine. And so we started inviting bloggers and we started inviting other people in the community because it's a lot of work to keep up a blog and to have that writing continuity. Um, and my thought was if, if this could be a platform for people who they don't want to start a whole blog, but they have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
probably very similar to what you do, you know, creating a platform where other people can share their stories. Right. There were a few of those early stories with bloggers who had never opened up about faith and then opened up for faith about faith for the first time. And what was really beautiful, there were two I can think of specifically where they were really hesitant to put it on their own platform. And then they realized And this was kind of early Instagram, early social media, where you didn't really dive into the messy stuff and the hard stuff as much. You kind of kept it really happy and peppy and crafty. And um, in both cases, they said, I'm so surprised that my audience resonated so strongly with this. And in one case, and I can share this because I've been a guest on her podcast, um, my friend Corinne Stokoe of Mint Arrow, like that was kind of a turning point in her life where she was like, no, I do want to share this. And I need to share this and encourage her. And that was one of the things I felt from the beginning of the podcast. I hope I can also not just, it's not just about sharing my seed. I really hope that in some way I can show people that they can do it too. Mm -hmm. And it's not so scary and it's not so taboo as maybe we think it is. Now we talk about faith, I think a lot online. Um, People weren't doing that then. There wasn't one company. There wasn't one LDS girl who had this side hustle. There was nothing. And so it really felt like, Ugh, I might be kind of the outcast. So those two posts really for me were like, no, this is, this is catching momentum. This is, this, this could be a movement where more people can talk about it. Yeah. On, on their own platforms. That is so awesome. One of the unique things about not only the blog, but we'll get in, in a minute, we'll get into the company and the products and everything else, but generally what what I've seen a lot of is sort of silos. I mean, maybe it's changing a little bit now, but you were early in this where it's either a Latter-day Saint blog, products, speaker, book, whatever for the Latter-day Saint audience, or it's a broadly Christian. And by Christian, I mean, not you guys, not you guys, Latter-day Saints, because you're not Christians. So we own Christianity. Yep. You own Latter-day Saintdom. You're a Christian company. Was that intentional early or did that develop? And um, we've probably asked that question every three to six months. Is this really how we can best reach people? Um, hun- very, very intentional, even starting back to that book from Clayton Christensen and talking about the gospel and work at work and how he explained it was you just talk about it very openly, but you explain the things that they're not going to understand. Like we don't just say, Hey, and then I went to the temple and I was at sacrament meeting. Like, I, I often, even now, because I think I have trained myself so much, I, I rarely say the word ward. Yeah. And even if I know I'm talking to an LDS audience, and I think part of this was, this all happened when we were in Connecticut. I usually say, you know, had this really cool speech given to our congregation. Right. Use really approachable terms. Um, I think we have realized that those who are really strong in their Christian faith may have that viewpoint of those are the other guys. This is something different. But the fastest growing denomination is those of, that are unaffiliated. Right. There's a lot of people out there who don't really have strong views about anything. I think they want a closeness to God. They want to feel like their life has meaning and purpose. And um, even in a study done within the church, I think in the 70s or 80s, the, I think it was 90% of people who joined the church joined it because of a friend they knew who had peace and purpose, a friend they knew in the church. So they were connecting this idea of, God is real and he talks to us. And this person who's a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints gets that or has this connection and they have purpose and they like their families. And so they saw a member who exhibited those things they were hungry for in very few cases. Was it a doctrinal thing? Um, And so for us, I think that is the goal. Like I always feel like if you can share those fruits of the gospel, there's not a lot of people who are walking around these days and saying, which church is true. And how can I join it? Most people are saying, I really kind of have a distrust of organized religion. And I actually don't really want to go like what I have in my mind is what that would feel like. Maybe feels a little funny. Um, But they are asking like, my family doesn't get along. And they're asking like, I don't know why I'm here. Or I don't know, like, what am I here for? And like those fruits that I think we really take for granted, like, when we have struggles in our marriages or when we like, I get to go and have this really sacred ritual every week where I have this moment of self-introspection and like, man, where did I just miss it this week? And then I have this real relationship with my savior, Jesus Christ, where I get to say, 
you're, you're okay with me laying this at your feet. You're really okay with that. You know? And so I think those fruits of what we really experience as members of the church of Jesus Christ, like that is so different and it's so beautiful, but if you can offer it as the fruit, I think it's a different experience than there was this prophet and it was revealed and this is the true church of Jesus Christ and pray, you know, like, so I think that's what we try to do with the small seed is like, here's the fruits, here's the lives. Here's oh, I love it. Feels like. It's so beautiful. And I think I don't understand this, but I know I do it. I know I do it. And I think a lot of members of the church do it. We have a hard time claiming Christianity for whatever reason. And, and I, there for a long time, when people would ask, are you Christian? And this is when Mormon was our, uh, our gnome preferred, but uh, people would say, are you Christian? And I'd say, oh yes, I'm Mormon. I felt like I had to get that out there almost like, oh yes. And here's my asterisk. And now I love just saying, yeah, I'm a devout Christian and let it go. And we may talk for another 20 minutes about faith without it ever coming out that my form of Christianity is Latter-day Saint. So I love love the way that you guys are structured. When did the small seed become more than a blog? What was the first um, step? A couple years in, I met this amazing friend, Melanie Burke, who was doing more products and logo and branding, a lot of that kind of thing. And she had some of these ideas to do more traditions for families. And it started with this give with thanks. And we did this cool poster with a tree on it where instead of just writing what you're grateful for, it was more about service Mm. And this big iconic picture, early Instagram was huge. That was a big, big upswell of followers and families who could download this free packet and print it off. Um, so we did a few of those traditions. We did a Christmas one and then we do an, I did an Easter one, which is still one of my favorite things that we've done where it's a big poster and it walks you through Holy Week every day of um, the Holy Week which I didn't know what happened on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday. I was so illiterate on what happened in Holy Week. And that's, I mean, really the apex of the Savior's life is Holy Week. That's where right. so much happened. And yeah. we don't even really talk about Holy Week. Like, is that a term we can use or is that a term we shouldn't use within the church? Um, and so that Holy Week tradition was amazing. And then about that same time, we were just seeing a real pattern of people asking us, okay, so you say I received an answer or God told me to do this, or then I was directed. I don't get that when I'm studying my scriptures or when I'm reading or when I'm listening, how do you, how does that, how does scripture study become that? And can you give us tips or pointers? And we realized that was really a big issue for a lot of women um, in our demographic. Like it's, it's hard. The Bible, the book of Mormon, like th that's archaic language. It's not stuff that we're used to using. And then with the advent of technology, like our attention span just keeps de decreasing, you know? Um, and so then we put together like a, a study guide, a little study journal where people could come and we just outlined patterns. It wasn't about giving you prompts as far as like what happened in this verse. And it wasn't a study guide. It was a, um, really a study journal. And we just broke it down in, into four ways to study. So that was kind of the next big phase. And then we decided to manufacture that study journal. And then that was like, oh, maybe manufacturing is not that scary either. Okay, let's do this. You know, we could do other things like this. And that has now turned into full on the small seed, the company. Did you yeah. ever think this would be where you would be? No way. Not in a million years. <laughs> so are you, you're not still living in Connecticut? No, last, about two months how long? I guess we've been here about two years. We moved to Provo, Utah. Yeah. Um, actually now Orem, we bought a house a couple of months ago. So we're now in Orem, Utah and back where it all started. Yeah. It's all come full circle. Yeah. And now tell us uh, how many kids you have total now? Five kids. So we had the three girls at the top and we've had two boys, had them all in yeah. Connecticut and moved out here. All right. So just eight to go. That's all we've got left. I'm so close, Sean. <laughs> You're right there, Lizzie. You are so close. And so now, um, as I know we've talked about a little bit uh, before we recorded, you're at another kind of pivot point in your life where yeah. you're you're shifting some focus. Tell us what's going on with you now. About six months ago, I started feeling, actually, it was probably more about a year ago, pandemic hits. I became a very um, a homeschooling mom that was 
not feeling like I had any right to be a homeschooling mom, probably like most of the, most of the country and um, just felt like I needed to pull back on all things. And I mean, part of it was just like survival, right? Like I'm home with five kids trying to figure out how to teach. And um, at that point kind of just felt a shift, like change is coming, but I think I kind of held on pretty desperately. Like, but I love this and I built this and I put so much of my heart into this and we have great things coming. We had launched, launched a meditation app that was just doing awesome. And like, Oh, this is a really sad time to have a shift. Like, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this, but then about six months ago, it became really clear. Like, no, this is right. Just trust this is right. And um, ended up finding a CEO who's just fantastic and really has the skill set and the management to be here right at this time. Her name's Brooke Meyer and she's, she's really exceptional. Um, and then kind of went quiet for six months, didn't post on social media and just, we bought our house, dug into a renovation and kind of thought, okay, maybe this will be, maybe this will be 10 years. Maybe this, you know, this might just be a good chunk. And I love raising our kids and they're hilarious and wonderful as you always think your own kids are. And, um, and then about two months ago, as I, I just started going on our, you know, hour long walks in the morning and doing daily pages, writing three pages in the morning, in addition to my scripture study, just like, I want to make sure I'm really on this right track. And our youngest is now probably heading into preschool in January. So it's like, you know, I actually ironically have more time than I've ever had. This is so funny. Um, but the thing that has been in my heart even in those early college days, the thought, what I wanted to do the most, it's also actually has kind of been in and out of blessings is, is counseling. But at that time it was like, there's only really one way to do counseling. And it's like marriage therapy or something like that. And I tried that for a minute and my poor little empathetic soul just about withered and died. That was like (laughs) the worst place for me, but it just surfaced again a couple months ago, like just think through this. And I had this realization, like I, I want to counsel and coach and help women and through these life phases and stages, which I have been through. And for some reason I go through so intensely, um, women, we reinvent ourselves every five years, maybe even more frequently you have young kids and then your maybe your kids are in school, but they're still in elementary school. And, and then they're in high school and your time changes again, and you've got emotional needs and evenings are different than they used to be. And then they start leaving and you have to reinvent that there. I mean, it's just, there's no linear career, I'll say, as yeah. a woman. whether you're married, whether you have kids, it, you often take a lot more roles um, in different phases and times. And that has been my passion. And anytime a woman comes to me and says, well, why did you start this? And then, well, why did you pivot to that? And how did you let go? And well, why law school? And for me, that is where I have, I feel God just pour through me and be able to talk to women. And so I'm working on doing some stuff there, which just lights my soul on fire. And luckily I've done enough now of website building and, you know, YouTubes and things like that, where I don't think it's going to take the same amount of legwork and doesn't scare me half as much as that hitting the first blog post maybe did at the beginning, but real excited to see where this goes and for how long it goes and where, where God's leading. What a blessed life, Lizzie. This has been so fantastic hearing your story. Um, And there's a word that keeps coming to mind. I think it's overachiever is the word that keeps coming to mind. (laughs) Oh, no. Maybe humble overachiever, but overachiever nonetheless. And I think it's so fantastic. I think it's great. Uh, And what a great example. If, If our listeners right now want to follow your journey, is there a way for them to follow you now as you go into your next steps? Yeah, probably best is just on Instagram for now, Lizzie, L-I-Z-Z-Y dot Jensen, J-E-N-S-E-N. Awesome. Well, we'll be super excited to uh, see what comes next and we'll be excited to share it with our media. I think there is no higher calling than uh, us serving each other. I say, I think that. God has actually told us that. So So I think that's, I think that's a pretty high calling in life that you've taken on. And I think this is all just really inspiring. We really appreciate it. We're going to wrap up this conversation uh, with the question that we asked all of our guests. And that is what does being a member of the church mean to you? I knew this question was coming and I thought about it for two seconds. And this, the answer that came just, I had to giggle because it goes back to high school, but um, growing up playing sports, to me, there's something so powerful about being on a team. Um, 
especially on a team that's really unified. I experienced that on my basketball team. On a team, everybody has something to contribute. On a team, you celebrate the fact that all the teammates are different and we bring different skill sets, um, but everyone can bring their best. On a team, we cheer each other on. We recognize when people are hurt or missing or injured. You recognize that when you're playing on the same team. Um, On a team, you all look to and follow the same leader. You've got a coach. And you really only are as successful, if it's a good coach, you're really only as successful as you can execute his plan. And as each of you strengthen those things that you're really good at, that's how you're successful. Um, So for me, like, you know, what an honor, honestly, it is to be a member or to be on Jesus Christ's team. He's the perfect coach and the perfect leader. And we know that the victory is sure. I lost the state championship game my junior and senior year in high school. That victory was not sure. (laughs) And and he's given us the way to do it, but he also lived it and he showed it and he's right in there with us. You know, like it it wasn't just like, oh, I played and here are my glory days. It's like, no, actually, I still remember the feelings. I can sucker you at any point and help you at any point. Um, And we're like, we're we're still learning. We're players. That means we practice. It's not about being perfect, right? That's that. That's not a a member of Jesus Christ isn't a perfect saint. Um, We're someone who's practicing that every single day and we have his divine help to do so. And we're led with love. And so, you know, membership can feel like, Oh, are you a member of a club? No, it's, it's a team and we cheer each other on and we grow together and, and we know the victory is sure and how fun it is to play alongside people like you, who's just really planted your seed in a, in a major way. And what an honor it is to be chatting with you about it. She is a mother, she is a wife, she is the founder of The Small Seed, and she is embarking on a new journey to continue to inspire and lead and motivate people, and she's doing such good things in the world. Lizzie Jensen, thank you for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sean. And my special thanks to my guest, Lizzie Jensen. What an incredible soul. I so enjoyed talking to Lizzie and hearing her perspective and all the things that she's achieved. But again, really, I loved her take on Christianity, on how to share the gospel, and uh, just all the good that she is out there doing. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, uh, I noticed something when I was sitting in church today. And I've mentioned before that uh, my high council responsibility is the young single adults. And this gives me the opportunity to go to the YSA ward pretty regularly. And so this afternoon, my wife and I attended the YSA ward and we sat in the very back corner pew. And as we were sitting there, I love the YSA ward. I just, I love the energy that our young single adults bring. And it's just fun to see them and fun to watch them and to remember many, many, many years ago when I was a YSA. But it's really a wonderful experience. And one thing about YSAs is, you know, they trickle in as sacrament meeting goes on. And I remember this from when I was a YSA. And I guess all wards, you know, have families that don't make it on time. And we're one of those families occasionally. But uh, it's always fun to see the, the YSAs as they, they show up after sacrament meeting has started. And I just had this vantage point where I could see the door as people kept showing up. And I started noticing something. And that's that people who showed up by themselves would sort of stop and stand in the door and scan the room. And as they were scanning uh, the sacrament meeting, they sort of had a an intense look on their faces usually, just sort of like, I need to find someone. And then eventually they would see a friend who had a seat or a friend would turn around and wave to them. And this incredible look of relief and happiness and peace would wash over them and their demeanor would completely change and they would walk with great purpose and walk over to a pew and sit down with a friend. And I noticed that didn't really happen if two or three people showed up together. If two or three people showed up, they'd just come walking in. They'd rarely even stop. They just needed to find enough room for three people. But people who came by themselves were looking for friends. And I was especially happy when I would see sometimes someone would stand at the door and they'd stand for a little while. 
And I'd almost be panicked for them, like somebody needs to, you know, call this person over. And sure enough, someone would turn around and wave to them and, hey, come sit here. And again, that relief. And I've been that person before. You know, I still am from time to time in places that I go. Uh, And what a blessing it is when someone will come up and just say hello to you. It is such a blessing. And I've had that happen before. There is something so wonderful, whether it's at church or anywhere else, you know, sometimes at corporate events or whatnot that I go to where I don't know a ton of people, I may be uncomfortable, but it's a real blessing. And one of the most Christ-like things I think we can do is making people feel welcome. And sometimes I have a hard time when I see someone by themselves. I don't necessarily want to put myself out there. And, you know, we all kind of think, oh, what if they think I'm weird or too forward or whatever it is? But we need to break down those boundaries. Showing love and and just sitting with people sometimes can be such a blessing. And I've had tremendous experiences that way. I was so grateful to see these incredibly faithful young single adults today as they fellowshiped with each other and as they worshiped the Lord. What a blessing it was. I love this church. I love this work. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Uh, Do you know someone who would enjoy this show? If you think of someone who might enjoy these conversations, if you could share it with them, that would just mean the world to us. And again, we love our five-star reviews. They really help us when people are searching for good content. The Latter-day Lives podcast was produced by Gene Chittister, social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's all we've got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>